helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. There's an old saying, put up or shut up. The idea is simple. You can talk all you want, but it's what you do that matters. And that's what I want to look at today. For example, we talk about putting children first, but do we? We extol things like protecting life, children, and freedom of speech, but when the rubber meets the road, do we really? I hear a lot of people talk, but I see very little actions. Perhaps it's time we actually invest in the things we say are important to us, to put our money where our mouth is, or as the the signers of the Declaration of Independence put it, to pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. And I'm glad you could join me today. Uh, Last night, I was out in, um, where was it, Dover, Tennessee, speaking to a group, a a chapter of the Tennessee Firearms Association. Had a great time, met some great people, had some great discussions, thoroughly enjoyed myself, and uh, I think the people liked it. They didn't throw anything at me, so that's usually a good sign that they liked it. Uh, But as I come back here to to, to record this, I'm looking at the, um, at a, a recent court case out of uh, Massachusetts, and it dealt with uh, the Department of Child and F- uh, Children and Families. Uh, every state has one. They use different terms. I always get hung up because in New York State, I had it as a customer, Department of Child and Family Services. So I always think that way. But it's this is the group that um, their job is to deal with the families that aren't working out right. I mean, there's plenty of studies that show that the best outcome for raising children is living at home with their married parents. But we don't live in a perfect world, so that's not always the case. And and what do we do in those imperfect situations? What do we do when those imperfect situations become more than simply imperfect? See, when I first moved from New York City to this small town in upstate New York, my very first friend was a boy my age who was in foster care. The details don't matter, but I still remember his first foster family. They took good care of him, but overall they seemed kind of distant and cold. There wasn't a good match. A couple of years later, he was placed in another foster family, and I watched my friend change for the better. See, his new family was not just loving and kind, but they helped him grow from a scared child to a young man. Now, along the way, I did get a small glimpse of life in foster care, which, guess what? It's not easy. It's not easy for the children. It's not easy for the parents. It really does take a lot to open your home to a child with no guarantees as to what the personality traits may be. They may have medical or psychological issues, and they bring them with them, with you. Now, for people prepared to be parents and families to those who either don't have one or whose families are dysfunctional, I give a tip of the hat. While I'm sure there are those in the foster care system more interested in the check than the child, from what I've seen, that's a small percentage. It's a small exception. I've seen reports of of people in child family services. They they 
whatever name they use, that, that place what they think best above the needs of the child. And this may be the case in the, in the district court case, Burke v. Walsh. Now, Michael and Catherine Burke are described as lo a loving couple. After finding out they were infertile, they decided to become foster parents. And they hoped that one day they might adopt a child into their family. Now, reading from the opinion, I found the Burks applied to become foster parents through the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families. They went through 30 hours of training, lengthy interviews, and assessments of their home, health, and family life. In the end, DCFS acknowledged the family's strengths. This included their willingness to parent a child with moderately significant medical, mental health, and behavioral needs. One interviewer praised how they really seemed to understand adoption and foster care. So the process of becoming a foster parent is not an easy one. There's training to take, interviews to sit through, numerous intrusive assessments about just about every part of your life. Now, all of which the Burks appeared to pass with flying colors. And again, one interviewer praised them for understanding the process and the system. Even the fact that they were willing to take an otherwise difficult-to-place child with medical, mental, or behavioral issues. To me, sounds like the perfect candidates, don't they? But DCFS denied the Burks a foster care license, and as such, their last opportunity to become parents. Only one reason was given for that denial. They would not be affirming to a child who identified as LGBTQIA. I'm not sure of the statistics in Massachusetts, but in general, most foster care systems are desperate to find foster families, mostly because there are so many more children in the system than parents willing to care for them, especially if the child has special needs. Now, one would think the DCFS would jump at the chance to have a family not only so well qualified, but willing to take on some of their most difficult cases. DCF's reason about not affirming the LGBTQIA child seems rather ridiculous to me for a couple of reasons. First, what percentage of children in foster care in Massachusetts identify as LGBTQIA? Again, I don't have the numbers, but looking at the rest of the population, my guess is only a relatively small number of children would be affected if they were to be fostered by the Burks. Second, while not an expert on the subject, I don't believe Massachusetts law would require DCFS, I'm sorry, DCF, to place children with a family they believe would not be a philosophical match. Of course, the Burks believe that there's more to them being denied a foster care license. Reading from the complaint, as DCF recorded, Kate, uh, Kitty and Mike are devoutly Roman Catholic and not only attend church regularly, I'm sorry, with regular frequency, but they also work for local churches as musicians. As faithful Catholics, the Burks believe that all children should be loved and supported, and they would never reject a child placed in their home. They also believe that children should not undergo procedures that attempt to change their God-given sex, and they uphold Catholic beliefs about marriage and sexuality. Because of those decent and honorable beliefs, DCF decided the Burks were not affirming and therefore prohibited from fostering any child in Massachusetts. In short, the Burks believed they were being denied a foster care license because they're faithful Roman Catholics. This seems to be supported by something mentioned by the author of the license study, who wrote, as the author of their license study put it, while the Burks are lovely people, their faith is not supportive, and neither are they. In other words, it wasn't what the Burks said, or even what they did, 
but the fact that their faith appeared unsupportive to the author of the study, well, that meant that they were unsupportive as well. I, I do have a bit of understanding for the author of the Berg's license study, since they may have felt that they needed to see things this way. See, Massachusetts regulations require licensed adoptive and foster parents to promote the physical, mental, and emotional well-being of a child placed in his or her care, including supporting and respecting a child's sexual orientation or gender identity. Yes, Massachusetts regulations require adoptive and foster families respect and support a child's sexual orientation or gender identity. However, as the complaint also noted, yet at the same time, DCF regulations and policy and the Massachusetts Foster Parent Bill of Rights all prohibit religious discrimination against potential foster parents. The Berg's attorney points to Massachusetts law, but not to their constitution, specifically part the first, yes, that's how they title it, Article 2, which reads, It is the right as well as the duty of all men in society, publicly and at stated seasons, to worship the Supreme Being, the great creator and preserver of the universe, and no subject shall be hurt, molested, or restrained in his person, liberty, or estate for worshiping God in the manner and season most agreeable to the dictates of his own conscience, or for this religious profession or sentiments provide, I'm sorry, or for his religious profession or sentiments provided he doth not disturb the public peace or obstruct others in their religious worship. Wouldn't being denied a foster care license fall under the Burks' uh, hurt or restrained in their liberty? The, the Burks have, list, have filed this case. They list five counts in the violation of uh, violations of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, four for the, of the free exercise clause and one of the free speech clause. In all counts, they claim it, it. Their claim is that the law is not generally applicable, a requirement under the Supreme Court strict scrutiny doctrine. Now, the first four counts focus on the consideration of the Burke's religious belief and using those beliefs as justification for treating them differently than others. The last count deals with the law's coercive requirement that adoptive and foster par- uh, parents express an idea that may violate their religious beliefs. While the complaint claims the First Amendment is incorporated against the state under the 14th Amendment, I've repeatedly shown that the language of the latter amendment does not change the scope of the former. Now, the Burks are asking the court to declare the D- that DCFS stopped discriminating against them and any others who would hold similar religious positions, that DCF be enjoined from withholding Burks' foster care license and for legal costs and damages. Now, as this is the initial stage of the suit, the complaint has been filed. It hasn't been heard yet. We'll have a lot of time to wait to see how things progress. This case is likely to be appealed more than once, so it may take years before we get to a final decision. To me, there are a couple of interesting things we should consider. First, while I do not subscribe to the Supreme Court's strict scrutiny doctrine, it's most likely the courts will use this to help them decide the case. I would think DCF would not prove that this was the least restrictive means necessary to to achieve what the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is likely to claim as a compelling government interest in the mental and emotional well-being of the children in foster care. After all, I would think there are plenty of children in foster care system who would not be disturbed by the Burke's religious beliefs, thereby allowing them to provide what apparently appears to be a desperate need within the Commonwealth. Furthermore, by denying a license to anyone who is a sincere Roman Catholic, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is denying the mental and emotional well-being of the children who share that faith. Second, as the lawsuit points out, 
As faithful Catholics, the Burks believed that all children should be loved and supported, and they would never reject a child placed in their home. They also believed that children should not undergo procedures that attempt to change their God-given sex, and they uphold Catholic beliefs about marriage and sexuality. See, with the recent attempts by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and other states to promote not only a sexualized lifestyle in children, including denying the sex of those children, the question must be asked, is the Commonwealth of Massachusetts placing their political agenda above the needs of children in their care? Why does the Commonwealth appear to be more focused on a, the few confused children with mental health issues to the detriment of the others? It also seems that the Commonwealth is ignoring uh, uh, Title 110, of Section 7.104 of their own um, Commonwealth regulations, which said, which says that the, that foster parents are required to respect and make efforts to support the integrity of a child's racial, ethnic, linguistic, cultural, and religious background. How can the Commonwealth claim to be promoting the mental and emotional well-being of children when they place their politicized sexual agenda above the broader mental, emotional, or religious needs? It makes me wonder if DCFS is more concerned with a child's ability to mutilate their body than their overall health and welfare. Which begs another question. Which is more dangerous? Religious families or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts? And again, this case is, is new. The complaint's been filed. We have a long way to go. But it got me thinking, are there other examples where we are putting our political agendas ahead of the health and welfare of, of children or even just of, of people in general? For example, I have gotten out of corporate America. I'm very happy to be out of corporate America. I have a friend who, who he repeatedly he says, I, I can have a job in his, in his department anytime I want, but I don't want to be in corporate America because I've seen what I left has gotten worse to the point where we, we don't care about employees. We don't care about people. We're more worried about a political agenda. Uh, for example, uh, the HHS, H, HHS, Health, Department of Health and Human Services, released guidelines ordering agency employees to refer to quote-unquote transgender co-workers by their preferred pronoun. Isn't that a violation of the First Amendment? I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to make some accommodations for people based on their beliefs, but how far are we going to go? If you're telling me I can lose my job by using the correct English pronoun for a person just because they don't like it? Isn't that putting the sexualized agenda above the rest of the employees? And do you remember uh, uh, Biden's executive order about regulating artificial intelligence? And the Department of Commerce has already affirmed that the Biden administration is committed to using artificial intelligence to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. In other words, racism sexism, and whatever other isms you want to throw at us. Do we really want the, the federal government regulating the, regulating the truth, promoting a political agenda? Because that's exactly what they're going to do. Now, I have some more examples, but I'm going to ha have a break coming up, and I don't want to split this up. But I do want to remind you, you know, head to the website, constitutionstudy.com. That's where you can find everything that we're doing here, and you can ask a question. 
Um, by the way, I get a lot of people that they they ask questions. They invite me to come uh, speak at events or to participate in in a other, some other online event. And I'm usually more than happy to. If I can fit it in the schedule, I'd love to. You can sign up for the mailing list. You can check out the Patriots program. We're starting to get some nice signups there, and um, we're building this to to be a tool for you to use to help whatever agenda you have. You know, it's not meant to replace the groups in this and the organizations you're part of. It's help. It's there to help give you tools so to make it work better. So again, check that out at the website, Constitution Study. Of course, you can always uh, sign up for a mailing list or or donate to the cause, help offset the cost. All of it's there at constitutionstudy.com. And don't forget, you can always ask me a question, hit the checkbox and have me answer it right here on the radio. Now, one of the things you may want to check out is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the spike protein lately. From shedding to long covid there are still people that are are dealing with the effects of this spike protein, this toxic inflammatory uh, uh, protein that not only did COVID get us, but guess what? So did the mRNA vaccines, quote unquote vaccines, because not really vaccines. Well, guess what? The wellness company has a tool to help. It's called Spike Support. It's designed to help both block and dissolve the spike proteins, if you encounter them. Now, this is, it's not a GMO. It's gluten-free, it's vegetarian, and it's manufactured right here in the good old U.S. of A. It's backed by documented research and vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your products and your first month membership at the wellness company if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. You can find out more at americaoutloud.shop, but please go to twc.health, check out their products, check out their membership. When you put your card together and check out, use the code OUTLOUD. You get 25% off products and your first month of membership at The Wellness Company. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. 
America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Welcome back, everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study. And today, well, I'm asking people to put their money where their mouth is. Yet we talk a good game, but it seems so often when we actually are asked to engage, when to actually do something, or it might actually cost us something, we bow out. We back away. We expect someone else to, to pick up the ball and run with it. The problem is... If everybody's waiting for someone to pick up the ball and run in with it, nobody ever does. I said going into the last break, I had one more, I had another example I wanted to use for you. And this one actually comes out of the state of, of Oregon. Uh, the State Board of Education, well, has made an interesting uh, set of decisions. See, they've removed proficiency testing in reading, writing, and ar- arithmetic for all the high school graduates, or at least for another five years. Now, I ask you, why would a school not want to make sure that their, st- their students were proficient in reading, writing, and arithmetic before letting them graduate? According to the board chair, the requirements are unnecessary. Why? Well, they disproportionately harm students of color. Now, I look at it saying um, the harm to students of color is not the testing. It's the fact that the school is failing. It's not that they're, the students are failing the test because they're not getting the education in reading, writing, and arithmetic. Why do you think we didn't put my daughter in public school? Want to make sure she understood reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, what the, 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 where is Oregon State uh, Board of Education? What are they interested in? Well, they've mandated that students receive age-appropriate instruction to help them recognize and respond to unsafe situations and increase awareness of child sexual abuse. I would think that'd be the role of the, the teachers and the administrator. I mean, okay, you want to understand what appropriate and inappropriate sexual touching is at, at age-appropriate levels. That's one thing. But when you see that the teachers are using sexually, what they refer to as sexually explicit media lessons in order to discuss pornography. That's right. The teachers are using child pornography to teach children how to recognize sexual abuse. Actually, what they're doing is indoctrinating them into child pornography. These lessons are truly pornographic. And according to the State Board of Education in Oregon, it's more important that students understand how to commit certain sexual acts than to be able to read, write, 
and do basic arithmetic, at least as a requirement for graduation. All right, let, let's let's change gears here, because there's another area where I want us to figure out how to put our money where our mouth is. Now, we all know what's been going on in Israel for the last year. There's a war going on in Israel. Um, Israel was brutally attacked. Um, they've been receiving rockets from Gaza pretty much as long as I can remember. There was a brutal attack They they were that targeted innocents that uh, went after young children, you know, young people at a music festival, went door by door, door to door through a, a kibbutz, killing people, raping women, beheading babies, taking women and children as, as hostages to use as human shields. And that's horrific. I'm not saying Israel has never done anything wrong, but what Hamas did was truly horrific. But I want to look at the response to, to certain actions. Uh, for example, both uh, Elon Omar and Rashida Tlaib have not only made anti-Semitic statements, but they've supported Palestine and Hamas. They have, in many cases, refused to condemn Hamas um, and, and their attacks. They and, and, and uh, have, again, have a history of um, anti-Semitic statements. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, placed a, a motion on, on the floor or, or a resolution to censure Ms. Tlaib for her um, for her anti-Semitic uh, statements, uh, her sympathizing with terrorist organizations, and what she's accused of is leading an insurrection at the United States Capitol complex. This was the 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 group that demonstrated in you know, against Israel, but more importantly, in support of Hamas in the Capitol complex. And this uh, resolution was tabled by a vote of 222 to 186. The House decided to table the resolution to censure uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Tlaib. Now, again, from looking at the uh, um, at the order, basically, it's it. If this had passed, it would have said, uh, uh, "We we censure Ms. Talib. Um, she's to present herself to receive the pronouncements of the censure, and it's to be a public reading that you know, basically, bad bad Ms. Talib." Now, don't get me wrong. Ms. Talib has a right to her own opinion, and to express her own opinion. As vile as I may think it to be, she has that right. And the House has a right to decide as a group, you know what, the these sentiments are not appropriate, or these actions, I should say, are not appropriate in the representative in the representative house of the Congress, the ones that represent the people. But I have to wonder, um, was this a political move? You see, all 199 Democrats voted to table the resolution. Not surprising. And of course, 23 Republicans joined in to do that, to get that number of 222. Um, but I, I, I have to wonder, does Ms. Tlaib represent the sentiment of her constituents? 
is is are the majority of her house district anti-Semitic? Are they in support of what Hamas did, of what Hamas says, of what Hamas has in their own charter, what they stand for? See, while I while I watched as as the House tried to censure her, I keep asking. Is this what the people in her district want? Or are they just voting because she's a Democrat? Are they just voting because she's a Muslim? You see, if we say we believe in human rights, then we have to delegate, we have to protect those rights, not just those people we agree with, but those we especially those we disagree with. So if you're telling me that um, the majority of, of Ms. Tlaib's district is okay with butchering babies, with, with raping women in the streets, with taking innocents as hostages just to prevent retaliation, that says a lot about a, a, a portion of our country. And I think we need to look at people when they make these statements and they hold these positions. I remember when 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 uh, it was a Cory Bush, I think, was having a press conference, and uh, somebody asked a question about uh, um, Hamas, and Elon Omar was there, and she lost it. How many Palestinians are dead? Palestinians are enough for you? And I kept waiting for someone to say, "How many dead Israelis are enough for you?" I don't want dead innocents on one side or the other, but let's face it. If you walk somebody up and punch them in the nose, you cannot complain when they swing back. If you attack a sovereign nation and you kill and you torture their citizens, you, you cannot complain when they swing back. But it seems as a people, there's a significant percentage of Americans who don't see that side. Now, is it because the media is so bad at reporting on this? Partially. But I think it's also partially the fact that we won't invest our our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor in finding out what's really going on. I've seen more and more um, pundits commenting and asking a question, why are young people protesting everything? Well, it's what young people do, right? Your blood gets up and you protest. But they were wondering, why are they protesting for Hamas? Why when, when, when a, 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 a group, of, a pro-Hamas, a pro, they call it pro-Palestinian, they're really supporting Hamas. But when they protest and they end up Pinning a group of, of Jewish students in the library, pounding on the doors. Well, kids will be kids. Really? Why are when when people in New York are putting up posters showing the faces and the names of innocent people who've been taken hostage? And the other side becomes like ripping them down. How dare you actually tell us? about the people we've been supporting. They keep wondering, why do we see all this intolerance, all this hatred, all this this violence 
among the younger generations? And I think the answer is relatively simple. I mean, understanding that young people are more likely to act out. As you grow and mature, you put perspective, you're less likely to physically act out. But let's face it, look at what they're being taught in colleges. When you have universities where the professors are supporting Hamas against Israel, is it any surprise that their students are learning that as well? Where teachers and professors are promoting racism and, and hypersexuality, is it any surprise that the students have come out of that as well? And when you think about it, since this really started going back to the 60s, we've now got how many generations? Three? Four? That have been steeped in this hatred of the other. In, you know, violence is whatever I don't like. Words are violence. Silence is violence. Why are we surprised that the rising generation is more than happy with decapitating toddlers, murdering children, tearing babies from the womb, murdering families in front of other family members. Why should we be surprised? This is the type of stuff we've been watching building for decades. So if we really think these are atrocities, when are we going to put our money where our mouth is? I've seen a little bit, right? There have been reports that some of the larger donors to, um, was it Harvard and University of Pennsylvania, have pulled their support based on the school's position on Hamas? That's two colleges. That's universities. Why is it not happening to every university, or at least the majority of the universities, that are, that, that are promoting this pro-Hamas agenda. See, I think we've been indoctrinated with the idea of don't get involved. Don't make a stand. Don't, you know, don't push, don't 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 draw attention to them. Let them get it all out of their system. It's cathartic. Let the rioters riot. Let the let the hooligans hooligan. And we'll you know, we'll deal with it on the backside except we never actually do. How long, how many decades have, uh, have, have these elite universities churned out young people indoctrinated with racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, and we did nothing? Let me put it another way. How many corporations do you know that support agendas you find absolutely atrocious, but still do business with them because it's cheaper, because it's more convenient, because you've always done it in the past. When are we going to stop feeding the beast? You know, when I was traveling during COVID, I kept saying, you know, I was looking for a sign that said, we respect your rights. No mask, no vaccine, no problem. And I never saw one. In fact, there are very few examples of people standing up 
to protect their businesses, to protect their livelihoods, to protect their families. And the ones that do stand up, well, of course, they get pushed back, but I can only think of a one or two examples where the community came up to their support. I remember years ago reading an article about how uh, uh, Walmart, under the whole idea of, you know, America first, buy American, they got labels. They labeled all the products that were made in America. And you know what they found? They sold less of them. We have all these great words, but we don't put our money where our mouth is. We don't pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And because of that, we're losing. We're losing the freedoms, the ideals that made America what it's, what, what it's always been. Now, personally, I love to get information from several different sources. One I go to daily is AmericaOutloud.news. I suggest you do the same, but I want you to do your part. I want you to take the the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos, the items that that say something important to you, that say something that touch you, that that are meaningful. I want you to share them. Put your actions where your mouth is. If you support them, make it known. Share that those articles. If you want to point out what's wrong, make it known. Share the articles. Let people know. See, that is called exercising the blessings of liberty. And only by exercising them do we stand a chance of securing them. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Clean, pure, with premium ingredients, Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop, and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org.
Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Welcome back, everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study, and today we're talking about putting our money where our mouth is. And uh, you know, sadly, when I look and I and I try to look objectively, I mean, I have my own opinions, I have my own standards, my own desires. But one of the things I try to do, and I, I try very hard when I'm looking at these articles is to take me out of the picture and f- get to the, the root of what's, of, of what's going on, get to the root of the question. Um, I'm going to play this clip. It is uh, Secretary Mayorkas is testifying before Congress. He's being questioned by uh, Senator Hawley, and I want to play this for you, and then uh, I, I want to take a closer look at it. Oh, my question to you is, should students who are here on a visa who gather and chant that slogan and actively advocate for the elimination of Israel and attacks on Jewish individuals, whether in the Middle East or here in the United States, as we're seeing on college campuses, should those students have their visas revoked? Uh, Senator, uh, I believe you are referencing a provision in the Immigration and Nationality Act uh, about which you have written uh, to me. And I am very familiar with uh, uh, your assertion that that statutory provision requires the revocation of their visa. But should they have their visas revoked? I'm asking you. Uh, uh, we are um, assessing um, your legal assertion. Um, it is a matter of legal interpretation of the statute. Well, just as a moral matter, I mean, should, should students who are here, foreigners who are here in this country, accessing our university system and advocating for the killing of Jews, should they be allowed to stay here at our leisure? Um, Senator, it is a matter of law and uh, it requires a legal interpretation and I am not in a position to provide that legal interpretation. No, it's quite obvious that uh, Senator Hawley is is frustrated by uh, Secretary Mayorkas. And listen, I'm no fan of Mr. Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, I think he's made a mess of things. And I've seen other scenarios where he's he's avoiding the um, the intent of the question, right? Uh, Mr. Hawley is quite apparently, uh, uh, obviously, I say, asking Mr. Mayorkas his, his opinion. And Mr. Mayorkas says, well, you know, there's law and I'm, I'm not ready to interpret the law. I'm not in a position. Um, as I understand it, the law says yes. There are situations where they could have their visas revoked, revoked for such. And I understand that react the, the reaction of you know, hey, you're here, you're visiting this country, you're a student, you're in a a U.S. college. By the way, it's not our university system, Mr. Holly. Um, those are many of them are private universities or they're state universities. They are not uh, part of the federal government, but. Um, yeah, okay, if you're going to be here and you're going to be anti-Semitic, should that re- 
lead to the revocation or the requirement of the revocation of your visa. But I'm thinking, I'm going, wait a second. I thought we said we believed in um, freedom of speech and freedom of the press and the ability to express an opinion, even one well, that other people find violent and distasteful. I find it interesting, though, that um, uh, if, if, if Mr. Marcus is correct and that there's a law that says a visa can be re- needs to be revoked when people say certain things, wouldn't that be a violation of the First Amendment? Since Congress had made a law that, um, that abridges the freedom of speech. Now, again, I, what I've seen out of the campuses is vile and disgusting. And, and I've talked about them to hear. That's my opinion. But I have to question, are we going to put our money where our mouth is and say, there are certain opinions that, well, you're not allowed to express in this country if you're a visitor. If you're here on a visa and you're a visitor, you know, um, isn't that Congress uh, abridging the freedom of speech? So I have to admit, you know, again, my first reaction is, yeah, that's violent and disgusting. Let's get them out of here. But I come back and saying, wait a second, if I believe, if I support freedom of speech, I have to support the freedom of speech of people who are expressing idea that an idea that I find vile and disgusting. Now, if they actually commit violence, if they actually do something that is violent, that is a whole nother question. But for now, what we're talking about is somebody who merely said something. And I find it interesting, although not surprising, that here you have a, a very constant you know, person, uh, I would say, as far as senators go, right? someone who is relatively constitutionally aware but we're talking about revoking visas because um, of what someone says. And that is, again, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. The same way that, that people defended the right of Nazis to, uh, to uh, um, have, have a little, uh, what was it, a, a, an assembly, a demonstration, and what was it, um, Muskogee, Wisconsin, something like that. They were allowed to because we believed in freedom of speech. Now we're fighting about what speech, what speech will be censored and what speech will be suppressed. And I know sometimes you're going to have to agree with something that's ugly, but that's called liberty. That's called freedom. That's called you know, extending rights to other people. But I also want to look at the kind of the other side, the the question of okay, what about those that are they're they're supporting Palestine, they're supporting Hamas. Now again, the Palestinian people, which uh, again is a bit of a of a misused term. Palestine refers to the entire region. Um, there weren't so much a Palestinian. There's no country of Palestine. Never has been a country of Palestine. But we're talking about people that are are looking at what happened in Israel and Gaza and saying Israel's evil, which aligns them you know, that Israel must be dealt with. And again, are you how close are you to aligning with Hamas? 
I mean, uh, 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 Hamas, there's a, actually a video of a Hamas official saying there will be more attacks until Israel is annihilated. Hamas is an existential threat to all, to the, to the nation, the country of Israel, to all of its citizens, and to all of its population. Now, if we're going to put our money where our mouth is, the, the question isn't, you know, are we going to send money to Israel to uh, defend itself? The question is, are we going to support Israel when they are attacking those who have attacked them, who have threatened their very existence? And as I'm looking at those, right, so the people who have anti-Semitic sentiments, okay, express them, but do you act on them? If as long as you don't hurt people, you can hate whoever you want. I want to know about it, so I know I'm not going to trust that person with certain things, but that's me putting the money where the mouth is. But the other part of this has to do with um, if it's oh, if you're going to say it's wrong for Israel to retaliate, for Israel to do everything, you know, the, the, the amount of work Israel has done to minimize civilian casualties. And compare that to everything Hamas has done to uh, increase the number of civilian casualties, from targeting civilians in the attack to hiding their their bases and their equipment around and under hospitals and schools and whatnot. You got to put your money where your mouth is and say one of them is evil, one of them not so much. I'm not saying they're good. But they're not, they're not as evil. And are we going to stand by those and saying, listen, Israel, as long as you're doing what you can to minimize uh, um, civilian casualties, okay, I'm sorry, but Hamas asked for it. And, and Hamas was elected to power by the people of Gaza. They chose Hamas. And I, you know, I don't. Again, I don't want to see civilian casualties, but we really need to be honest about this if we're going to have a, uh, uh, if we're going to come to an end to this situation. And if we're not willing to be honest enough to to say the hard things, we're never going to get to an answer. This has been going on since 1948 for two reasons. One is every time somebody attacks Israel, it seems the world goes after Israel. And every time Israel retaliates, the world asks Israel to give it all back. It's been a very one-sided uh, uh, actions here. And, okay, yeah, Israel screws up. And I think Hamas made a, a, a strategic mistake when they attacked on October 7th. But they did so. And until those individuals are turned over for trial, this is a war, not a police action, meaning people, innocent people are going to die. And it's sad, but it's the consequences of war. And if somebody declares war on you, if you don't fight back, you don't exist very long. Now, there's one other topic I want to cover here, and this has to do with the recent um mass murder in Maine, and the fully expected reaction of the gun grabbers to immediately demand the disarming of innocent, innocent people because of the crimes of 
others. And that's, I mean, it's, I did a show on it. It's, it's the expected reaction. You, you know, go, the inanimate object is the problem. It's never a person's fault. Um, and the, the answer to a crime is to punish the innocent. Well, there's another spin on this that you may not have thought of, but just as there have been calls to get rid of guns, guess what? According to uh, industry, the gun sales are surging. Now, I believe they're surging for a couple of re reasons. One is people realize, hey, maybe I'm not as safe as I thought I was. You know, there's a saying, the body won't go where the mind hasn't been. And, well, maybe finally some people are going, hey, wait, that could happen in my backyard. That could happen to me. Now I'm willing to go and defend myself. Uh, I'm willing to go and, and hopefully not just purchase a weapon, but, but train and, and do the other things that I highly recommend. If you own a firearm and you're not training on it, you haven't gotten instruction on how to safely operate it, trained on how to use it, then I think you're a fool. But if that's the way they're going, that, that's fully expected, which may be the reason why the uh, the gun grabbers start calling for gun control so quickly, because they know when when you know something like this happens, people are going to buy firearms, their arms to defend themselves. But the other thing that I think is driving this is the calls by um, different groups, especially the President of the United States, to ban certain firearms, to restrict, to do everything they can to get these arms out of the hands of certain people. People are going to go out and say, no, I have to get this now because if I don't, I, I won't be able to in, in the future. I remember thinking that uh, before I bought, uh, I even thought that before I bought my, my first AR-15 was, uh, you know, actually what had happened is I'd moved out of New York where you couldn't get a real AR-15. I moved somewhere where I could and I bought one. Now, to me, these are reactions, but if I'm going to put my money where my mouth, my mouth is, I'm going to say, if you want to purchase guns, if this has scared you into understanding your life may be in danger at some point, all I, I do recommend you get training. I, I highly recommend it. In fact, actually, one of the things I really like to do is I like to teach friends and family how to safely uh, handle a, a firearm, usually a handgun. I you know you see buddy who's who's not done it before they're not familiar I take them through the whole safety thing because that's me putting my money where my mouth is. If you're going to be around firearms, I did it for I've done it for friends I've done it for my daughter I've done it for family. Um, I, I'm I think it's very important. But at the grander scope, what I want to look at when I talk about putting my money where my mouth is, or people putting in general putting their money where their mouth is. I think we've gotten way too comfortable with keyboard warriors. It's funny, they call it social media, but it's been the most anti-social media that I've ever seen. We call each other names. We make all sorts of accusations. We are all big and puffy online. But when the rubber meets the road, we're chicken. We're afraid. Now, being afraid isn't necessarily a bad thing. Fear warns you of danger. But are we willing to put our lives, fortunes, and sacred honor on the line to protect liberty? I think it was Thomas Paine who asked, Is life so dear, or peace and peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? We have to decide. 
But the decision needs to be more than just saying something. I think it needs to be doing something. If we want to be the land of the free, we have to be the home of the brave that's brave enough to stand up and do something. Now, here's the good news. I'm not asking you to go to Washington, D.C. I'm not even asking you to go to your state house. What I'm saying is, if you want to put your money with your, where your mouth is, how would you start locally, in your city, in your town, and in your county? So I know that's not the big, sexy uh, project or program, but it is the one that will probably have the greatest difference in your life. It's the one where you have the most influence on those uh, officials and, and, and people holding office. And believe it or not, it does make a difference. Because if you make a difference in your county and I make a difference in my county, I was telling you this at the, at, the, at the TFA event last night, you work in your county, I work in my county, we make a difference. We can change Nashville by changing our counties. And once we start changing the states, D.C. becomes an afterthought. Now, I hope you come back and join us here for the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen then, all of my shows go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. But please, subscribe to the show. Leave me ratings and reviews. It helps other people find the Constitution Study. You can find the links to the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But please, share them. Spread the seeds, spread the word, and share the blessings of liberty. Liberty. 